first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 20, and can be found on page 77 of our church Bibles. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to the end, found on page 995 in our church Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or ill, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please have a seat as um, Pads comes and will talk to us. Let's just pray before I begin. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would presence yourself with us by your Spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the front of your service sheets um, proclaim that God is good. But do you really think that he is Do you think he's good all the time? James Bryan Smith, the author of The Good and Beautiful God, used to think that God was good all of the time. Until his wife was eight months through her second pregnancy, they'd had a baby boy, she was eight months through her second pregnancy when on the final scan the doctors discovered she had a chromosomal disorder and they told, they received the news that the baby was unlikely to live very long at all. And in fact, they had to come to terms with the fact 
that their little daughter, Madeline, they called her when she was born, was dying right from the day that she was born. And for James, it was very difficult because they were both devoted Christians. They were both really faithful people. They'd both given up their lives um, to serve God. What was going on? Was God punishing them? Had they done something wrong? Was God really good? Could he really be trusted? And, and there are difficult verses in the two readings that we've just heard this morning, which might also raise questions in our minds. In the Ten Commandments, in the Second Commandment, God says in verse 5, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents. And then in our Gospel reading, we hear about a God who sends people away to eternal punishment for apparently broaching a few arbitrary rules, like not feeding someone who's hungry. Is this a God who can be trusted? Is this a good God that we can put our faith in? And when we meet these things in Scripture, these are real questions. The good news is that rightly understood and rightly read, both these Scriptures tell us the truth about the nature and the character of God. So let's turn back to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, of course, as Joe said earlier, are probably the best-known rules in the world. They've never been better. They're amazing. The first four commandments are all about how we should love God. And the remaining six commandments are all about how we should love others. Which is why Jesus summed up the law with those two commands when he was asked what's the greatest commandment. Carol led us at the beginning of the confession. Jesus said to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbour. The best rules that have ever been written down. And yet there's a problem. Because what kind of God says, I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me? How can we deal with that? Well, I think it's about understanding the verse correctly. Because for two reasons. First of all, God says, I'm a jealous God. And what that does is reveal just how much he loves us. That's the starting point. He's jealous because he created us for a relationship of love. And if we walk off in the opposite direction and reject him, then he's hurt, he's, he's distraught, he's jealous, he's angry. I've been, I love my wife Kirsty. we've been married for 31 years, but if she went off in the other direction with someone else, I would be distraught, I'd be jealous, I'd be angry. Why? Because I love her so much. Why is he a jealous God? Because he loves us so much. He made us for love. And when we reject him, when we turn away from him, that's awful, that's terrible for God. That's why he says he's a jealous God. The second thing about that verse, the second thing about that verse is that the mistake that we can make is reading it like this. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, full stop. But actually, it's not a full stop. That's only half the sentence. It goes on in verse 6. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this isn't a technical verse about God smiting our children and our grandchildren at all. It's a comparative verse that shows us God's inclination to love versus his inclination to punish. And what do we find? His inclination to love is a thousand compared to three or four. I mean, I'm a bit of a mathematician, but so I make that 250 to one in favour of love versus punishment. And that's really what this verse is telling us. God is 250 times more inclined to show love than he is to punish. That's the nature. Or you can put, if you like, percentages. He's 99.5% inclined to show love and half 0.05% inclined to punish. That's how much God loves us. That's what that verse is meant to tell us about the God of love. God is good. Well, what about the gospel reading? What about a God who sends people away to eternal punishment for apparently messing up on a few rules? Let's see, let's see what they are. The things that the people in this parable are apparently punished for are, verse 42, not giving someone food when they're hungry. Not giving someone drink when they're thirsty. Not inviting a stranger into our house. Not giving clothes to someone who needs them. Not visiting someone who's ill and in prison and looking after them. But that's ridiculous. That's not fair. Because, I mean, I could keep all of the Ten Commandments and still break one of those and apparently get sent off to eternal punishment. So should we add another five rules to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt feed the hungry, thou shalt give water to the thirsty, and so on. Well, that wouldn't really work either, would it? Because we could just add another five, and another five, and another five. In fact, that's what many of the Pharisees did. They created hundreds and hundreds of laws in an effort to try and get round this problem. But actually... That's to miss the point, because this passage isn't a passage about a God who lacks love. It's a passage about human beings who lack love one for another. The way to eternal life, our eternal destinies, are not decided by how well we keep the Ten Commandments, although they're very good measures, very good guidance for life. Our eternal destinies are not decided by whether we keep those Ten Commandments or whether we keep the other five we've discovered in the Matthew passage at all. That's not it. Because I'm convinced that when I get to heaven, King David will be there, and he was a murderer. And I'm convinced that Rahab will be there, and she was a prostitute. And I'm convinced that the Apostle Peter will be there, and he was a serial liar. He denied that he knew Jesus three times. And so that's not what it's about. What is going on here? Well, Joe gave us 
a hint in her little talk in the family time earlier, didn't she? What's going on is that grace has appeared, which changes everything. In fact, there's a beautiful verse in Titus. Titus 2, verse 11, it says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So the God who is 250 times more inclined to show love than he is to punish has done something and he sent his son who has paid the debt for every single time you and I have broken the Ten Commandments and we have. And for every time we haven't fed the hungry or given a drink to the thirsty or whatever it is, God has sent his son who died on the cross in order that all of those things can be taken away. That if we accept his love, that we're forgiven and set free. It's amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful. And God, there are two things that we have to do to respond to that. The first is we have to accept it. We have to simply say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that grace that's appeared that means I'm not damned because I've broken the commandments. We have to repent. We have to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Turn away from the things that we know are wrong and embrace God. And the second thing we have to do, it's equally important as the first, because salvation isn't just about acknowledging that Jesus has done something. It's also about opening ourselves up to God's love, in order that we will be changed and transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. And that happens by his Holy Spirit. And you know, it's been wonderful on just, it happens every time we we do an Alpha course, but on this course, again, like previous courses, it's been amazing to see people on the course opening their lives to Jesus and being transformed by his love people on this course have been struggling with being angry with God or with, with, with complex family issues that, that have been pulling them back. And since on the Holy Spirit Day, on, when, when they were prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they've been telling us about the healing they've received. They've been telling us about restoration within the families. It's been wonderful to hear about that transforming power. And what about James Bryan Smith and his two-year-old daughter? He says this. A few years after Madeline died, I was in the middle of a day of solitude. My mind went over the last few years, thinking about the pain of hearing the news from the doctors, the countless sleepless nights on hospital floors, and the dark and rainy day we placed her body in the ground. And I turned to God and said without thinking, maybe it would have been better if she'd never been born. And that was when I received one of the clearest experiences of God responding to me that I've ever had in my life. On this day, at that moment, a little voice penetrated my mind. The voice of a little girl, a voice I'd never heard, but immediately recognised as Madeline's. 
Daddy, you should never say that. If I had never been born, I would not be here now. I'm so happy here in heaven. And one day you and Mum and Jacob will come and see me and we will live forever together. And there is more good that has happened because of me that you can't see now, but will one day understand. And for James, he says that a new narrative entered his mind that day. One in which he could begin to see how a person could face tragedy and still say, God is good to me. To understand how Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And to know how Jesus could tremble in the Garden of Gethsemane and still call his father Abba. Yes, God is good. Amen.